All right, guys. Well, it's, it's 9.30, uh, so we can go ahead and, and start. Um, if you didn't get a, uh, an outline, they're, they're sitting on that back table where, where Dan's at. Um, yeah, so, so let me just pray, and then we can, we can hop right in. Father, we, uh, we love you, and we, we thank you uh, for a new day with new mercies. Uh, God, we, we thank you for the rain. Uh, we know even... Uh, yeah, as you use the analogy of rain to describe how your word works, that it falls to the ground and, and, and waters the earth, and it, and it doesn't return void. So God, we pray that this morning your word would do the same, that it would go out, that it would meet us um, yeah, in different places, and Father, accomplish the purpose for which, you, uh, yeah, for which you purpose it. And God, even as we think about uh, what this day is, uh, Mother's Day, uh, we thank you for the many mothers in our congregation. God, we pray that you would give them the grace they need, um, yeah, to just fulfill their role and calling as a mother. God, we, uh, we pray for the many who desire to be mothers and are not yet, um, or, or who have been mothers and, and have now even lost children. Father, we pray that you would draw near to them, that you would comfort them, um, that, yeah, that you would be near to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit this morning. God, we pray for those who are expecting um, as well that you would... Yeah, you would comfort them in a difficult season. God, give them the grace they need to, uh, yeah, to endure this, this hard season. Um, Father, so we thank you for this time. Uh, we pray that it is glorifying to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Well, if you have uh, a handout that you can see at the top, that we're going to be looking um, at the topic of, of gender roles, uh, particularly within the home. Uh, so I think, I think yours says what the Bible teaches about roles in the home. Uh, it's actually, yeah, I think our new title is actually Gender Roles in the Home. Um, means the same thing, but did want to just clarify that. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I think uh, John and, and Chris have been just talking about what biblical masculinity is, um, what biblical femininity is. So this week, uh, we'll, we'll get into to what, how that plays out just in the home. Uh, yeah, as, as we look around at culture, do, do you guys see any kind of, of, of things that, that culture says, hey, hey this, is what, this is what roles in the home should look like. I mean, this is what a husband should do. This is what a, a wife should do. I mean, do you guys have any ideas of what culture might, might say about that? Or, or, yeah, how would culture define roles in the home? Russell? Absolutely. Uh, I, think, I think we've seen, especially just in the last, yeah, the latter half of the 20th century, just with the sexual revolution, um, this, this casting off of old traditional, yeah, traditional ideas. No roles in the home, that's, that's old school. We're not going to do that anymore. Um, and it kind of goes uh, back to this, uh, these two definitions that, that John defined a couple weeks ago of complementarianism and egalitarianism. So they're not on your handout. Uh, if, if you want to know more about those, you can listen to John's, um, yeah, John's lesson from a couple weeks ago. But, but basically, egalitarians would think that, that God created man and woman equal in nature um, and also equal in role. So they, there's no difference between man and woman in the roles that they fulfill. Um, they would think that the fall actually caused men and women's roles to, to, to be distinguished. Uh, whereas complementarians would think that God, yes, indeed created man and, and woman equal, uh, yet he gave them different roles. Um, and it's not a res result of the fall, but it's a result of God's creation order, that it's actually God-ordained um, and something to be celebrated. Uh, now many people, uh, even in the church, they don't like to call themselves complementarian. Yeah, we would, we would say we're, at least we teach compl complementarianism here at the church, um, some people don't like that word. Uh, I think, but as we look at, as we look at this today, particularly within the home, we can actually learn to celebrate the idea of complementarianism, that it's not oppressive, um, that it actually helps both husband and wife to just flourish in the home. 
Um, so yeah, we're just going to be looking at that today. Uh, so yeah, a couple, a couple weeks ago, yeah, the last couple weeks, we've talked about masculinity and femininity. I struggle with saying femininity. It's kind of hard. Um, but yeah, this, the basic definition of masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. And femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. So, uh, we're, yeah, we're just going to be looking at the home. Um, and just as we talk about the home, um, yeah, so as Christians, we believe that when somebody lives together in the same home, male and female, uh, obviously, if they're not siblings, they, they are their husband and wife. So just as we talk about this today, it's going to seem very uh, marriage-oriented. Um, so if, if you're single, I don't want you to, to tune this out um, as if it doesn't apply to you. Um, fir- firstly, I don't want you to tune it, tune it out because, yeah, some of you might be single who, who desire to be married. Uh, and, and I think it's actually helpful if you start preparing for marriage now rather than wait till maybe you meet someone and then you start to pursue a relationship and, and go on in, into marriage. You want to start preparing for marriage now uh, so that when the time comes that the Lord, Lord might bring someone into your life that you think, man, I want to marry this person, uh, you'll be much more prepared to enter into that marriage relationship. Um, so there are many things you can do now to just to take heart um, and to hear. And, and also many, yeah, just as a single person, you're surrounded by many married friends. You have married friends. Um, many of the, yeah, the people at this church are married. Um, and it's actually your spiritual duty to encourage them uh, to challenge them, to, yeah, to allow the Spirit to, to work um, through you, to, to bring conviction to other people. Uh, so, so you don't want to just cast this off and say, well, this doesn't apply to me, I'm going to tune it out. If, listen, if Paul and Jesus could talk about marriage, um, they, neither of them were married, at least Jesus as far as um, earthly marriages. Um, yeah, we, we, you as singles can certainly talk about marriage to your married friends. You can encourage. You have the same spirit, um, the same right to encourage. So, yeah, just as we look at this today, uh, we're just going to look at two, two primary passages. We'll jump around a little bit, um, but the two primary passages we'll be looking at are Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3. So if you want to go ahead and turn there to Ephesians 5, um, we, we can get started. <coughs> Um, yeah, so if, uh, if somebody would read Ephesians 5, starting in verse 18, and just be willing to trudge all the way through 33. Um, so starting in verse 18, and let's go to 33. Anyone? <laughs> Thanks, Merck. Loves his wife, loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, 
nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. This is, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife Thanks, Mark. Yeah, so, yeah, when we think of, a, if, if you think of marriage in, in the New Testament and marriage passages, this is probably the, the, the go-to place for most, yeah, most Christians. This is the first place you go. So that's why we're just going to sit here for a little bit um, and, and think about what, what Paul has to say here. Um, and I had you start a little, a little bit early. Um, first, because you can't, you can't understand the 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 wives and husbands portion of this, which starts in verse 22, without understanding, I think, 18 through, through 21. Uh, so, I can move my stuff out of the way, sorry. Yeah, so, so as we look at uh, verse 21, Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, so I just want to ask, yeah, what, what do you guys think of when, when you hear the word submit? Maybe, maybe women. Do you, does that is that like a cuss word for you? Like do you, we don't use that word in our home, you know. But what do you think of when you think of submit? Relinquishing authority. Relinquishing authority. That's good. Anybody else want to add to that? I think defer to. Defer to? Yeah. So yeah, maybe like a yielding. Yeah. No, that that is that's really good. So I, I think that's a great answer. So yeah. Submission in this context would just be a, yeah, a, voluntary, a voluntary relinquishing of authority, a voluntary yielding to someone else's authority. So in this context, this is actually just mutual submission um, between believers in, in verse 21. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to see that that's not a, a, a new idea. Uh, if somebody wants to grab Philippians 2-3 and uh, somebody grab... Uh, Galatians 5.13. Who will get Philippians 2.3? All right, John. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In humility count others more significant than yourselves. In a sense, that is submission. That's, that's uh, serving, um, serving one another. And who's got Galatians 5.13? Thanks, Dan. So we're going to see, and Jesus even said he came um, not to be served, but to serve. Um, so, so there is a kind of mutual submission that happens um, with, with believers, uh, at least in, in this current context. Uh, now, egalitarians would say that this is mutual submission alone. Like, this is the only kind of submission. It's always mutual. Um, whereas, as complementarians, we'll see um, that there's... A, it seems to me that there's a more unique way that wives are called to submit to husbands. That's, um, yeah, in this, in this context, slaves are called to submit to masters. Um, children are called to submit to parents. So if you say it's mutual, mutual submission alone, I think the argument falls on its head because you wouldn't say that parents submit to children um, if we're talking about mutual submission. Uh, so we're, yeah, we're going to see uh, how he fleshes this idea out. But even going back a little bit further that I had you guys start in verse 18 Paul says and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit uh, so I think the primary command of this passage is actually to be filled with the spirit um, submitting to one another is just a continuation of that command so you're going to have to be filled with this with the spirit in order to even submit as God would have you do that um, I mean naturally we just we buck against the system we we have sinful desires. We don't want to submit. Um, but, but Paul's going to say, be filled with the Spirit. Part of that being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another, um, as Christ has, has called you to do. So that's why I say in, in point one, the, the, passage, the passage is founded upon the expectation 
of both men and women to walk in spirit-empowered humility. You, ha- you have to have spirit-empowered humility to even live out anything that, that the rest of this passage talks about with, w- concerning wives and husbands. So, our point number two, wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. Um, so, in verses 22 through 24, Paul's going to narrow it down from just the overarching Christian humility now to how husband and, and wife particularly relate to each other. Um, as I said, if you're single, please, please don't just tune this out. I think you can really uh, learn a lot from, from this passage um, so, yeah, please just listen in. Uh, so first, uh, what we see about submission is, is this is not implying in any way that, that woman is inferior to man. Uh, this is going to be much more a matter of role than of nature, which I think, I think that's a big misunderstanding of, of just what, what we believe about complementarianism, that, oh, well, you say I have to submit, then that must mean um, I'm, I'm lesser than I'm, I'm inferior. The wife is inferior. And I think we've seen this, yeah, I think we've seen, especially just in the last couple of years, uh, many men just abusing their role as, as authoritative figures. So whether it's bosses or uh, husbands or spiritual leaders, we've seen that they're, them abuse their authority. So women don't want to submit. They, they do, men make them feel inferior. They shouldn't, but, but they do. And that just leads to more tension when we talk about submission and headship within, within the home and within the church. So we've got to put off that idea. Um, yes, there are sinful men who, who take advantage of their God-given authority, uh, but women should not use that as an excuse to not obey the Lord and, and, and submit. Um, so we're going to see first that women are not inferior. Both are created in, in the image of God. Uh, male and f- female, God created them. Um, both in, in God's Im- image, same dignity, same worth, same value, just different roles. Um, second, wives submit to your own husbands. So it's also a common misconception that, yeah, why any woman has to submit to any man. Well, that's just simply not the case. Wives are called to submit to their own husbands because that is the man that God has placed in, in authority and in, in leadership um, so, so it's not, uh, you know, so Russell can't, well, actually, Russell's an elder. Uh, so <laughs> Dan, Dan uh, you know, can't, can't go to, to Jessica and say, hey, you need to submit to me. Um, he's, not, uh, he's not her wife, I mean, her husband. So, so that, it, it works between husband and wife relationship, and we see it in other places as all Christians um, in local churches submit to their elders. So it, submission is not a bad thing. Um, you're called to submit to particular people, obviously the Lord, um, your elders, um, yeah, and your husbands. So, yeah, you don't just go around and let men say, oh, you submit to me, you, you submit to me. That's just not how it works. Um, that's actually, yeah, the Lord detests that kind of action. Yeah, third, wives should submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Now, this is not saying that wives should submit to their husbands as he is the Lord. He's not, he's not the Lord. This is not, uh, he's not like a king. He's not royalty. This is, wives, submit to your husbands because you love the Lord, as if you're honoring the Lord. So, Paul, yeah, Paul is going to say that this as to the Lord, um, yeah, is very much a, you submit, you submit to your husband because your first allegiance is to the Lord. Which is, we'll get it in the same vein as the Lord means that, yeah, the primary allegiance of a wife to a husband um, over a wife to a husband is wife to the Lord. So just as Christians, our ultimate authority is God. So wives, submission does not, yeah, does not mean that you would follow your husband in disobedience to the Lord. So there are times when you can, when you can disobey your husband, um, if your husband is going to cause you to sin, if your husband is leading you down a path that you know is not honoring to the Lord, um, there are times when, when you actually should disobey because you actually serve God and, and not men. Um, don't just blindly follow. Um, that's, that's not what submission means. Uh, submission is that voluntary yielding of your own 
yeah, desires yielding to someone else's leadership uh, only insofar as they're following the Lord. I mean, we see even, even with us as church, so if an elder started preaching something other than the gospel, we're actually called not to listen to them, um, to get rid of them. So in the same way, if, if a husband is not, yeah, if he's doing something contrary to, to Scripture and God's will, you should not follow him in that. Uh, we'll, we'll look at that a little bit further um, as we get into the First Peter passage, but for now, um, yeah, that's, that's all we'll say on that, that subject. Moving on to point three under, uh, yeah, under section A. Uh, wives are sub- to submit because the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. So in verse 23, Paul says the husband is the head of the wife. And we just said, yeah, the head implies authority. We see that Christ is our head as the church. We submit to Christ. In the same way, uh, husband's the head of the wife. The wife submits. And what we're going to see is it's just Paul starting to draw out the analogy of uh, the marriage relationship to the picture of God's relationship to his people. He's going to begin that process. So, yeah, male headship is a divine appointment. It's not a social construct. It's not something that men created in order to put women down, uh, which is, yeah, maybe a feminist would say that. No, it's, it's actually divinely appointed, and it's actually, we're going to see that it's good for both men and women. Uh, male headship is not... Yeah, it doesn't have to be this terrible idea. Uh, this doesn't mean for men to say, yes, I'm in control, do whatever I want. Uh, I saw a quote from J.D. Greer, who's a pastor. He said, spiritual headship is not a license for men to do what they want to do. It is empowerment to do what they ought to do. So rather than men saying, yes, I've got this authority, let me just wield it however I want, this should actually sober us as men. It should lead us to much prayer and just... Yeah, we should recognize that we're completely dependent on the Lord to help us to do this well. Uh, it's a God-given responsibility, and the Lord takes it very, very seriously how we handle it. So, yeah, husbands, don't wield your power in, in an, yeah, just an unworthy manner. I would just say, uh, single sisters who desire to be married, just don't grow weary in waiting on maybe the right man. Uh, yeah, if the Lord wills for, for you to be married... Uh, yeah, th- that will be a good thing, but don't grow impatient and try to take matters into your own hands and, and look for a man just because you want a man. Um, you don't, don't idolize marriage. Uh, if the Lord wills, he, wills, he, he will bring uh, a husband to you, uh, but wait for, wait for a good one. Don't, you don't want to marry this type of man who just wields his authority in, in unworthy manners. Um. So, point four, husbands are to sacrificially love their wives just as Christ loved the church. Absolutely. Because it seems like there's also this other side of what about a husband who is not so much wielding authority as a tyrant, but just apathetic, disengaged, mm-hmm. refusing to lead at all? Yeah, so if, yeah, so if a, a husband were just completely just passive, um, yeah, I, actually, okay, I'd, I'd actually rather you lead, wife. Um, you're, you're a better leader anyway. Um, so if a husband's passive, for one, I would just encourage the wife to graciously approach him and, and say, I, I believe from Scripture God has given you the task to lead, and I, I'm, I'm begging you just to lead our family. Um, I, w- I would approach him in humility, um, if he's not respondent, I would hope that maybe you can approach some other men to come alongside this man and just help him. Maybe he doesn't even know what it looks like to lead. Uh, maybe he, he didn't have a father who, who led. So just come along. Hey, we're, we're ready to walk with you through this. This is, what it means, uh, this is what it means to lead. Now, are you willing to step up and do that? If he continues just in, in unrepentance, um, I, I think that that may lead to further conversations with elders I wouldn't say the wife should just automatically step up and lead. I think there still should be an urging of, you're my husband. This is your role. Please step up and do this. But in humility and love, if you have anything to add, I would. So, 
Yeah, so husbands are to sacrificially love their wives just as Christ loved the church. So he's going to turn to husbands here. Um, say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So he's going to use this, this language of, of giving himself up for her. Somebody want to go back to Ephesians 5.2 um, and, and read that for us? Hmm. So Christ gave himself up as a fragrant offering to God. So for husbands, that means our role as husbands is, is primarily a self-giving role. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And as husbands, it is, is your duty to actually give of yourself um, for your wife. So Christ laid his life down and and. I don't know, you may be at some point called to lay your life down for, for your bride. But I think even if we think about it more generally, uh, our, our command is, is to uh, yeah, not follow our sinful desires and not just take and desire to be served, but to serve. Um, yeah, one of, my, so one of my tendencies when I get home from maybe a, a long day, uh, maybe I've just, yeah, I... I worked hard that day. I felt like I accomplished the things that I needed to accomplish. My tendency, I want to just go home and sit on the couch and just like be. I don't want to think. I don't want to do anything. I just want to like sit there and, and do nothing. Um, but in those, those cases, yes, I think you can, I think you can rest. It's, it's not a bad thing to, to rest. But if I come home and my wife says, hey, babe, we really need something from the grocery store. Do you mind going back out and getting it? Instead of me throwing up my hand and saying, oh, I, you know, I do everything for this family and this is how you treat me. <laughs> yeah. It should be, you know what, I'm, I may not even want to, but, but babe, I am, I'm going to go serve you and I, I'll go to the grocery store. Um, and, and it also is doing it without grumbling. Um, so, so, yeah, if, if she needs help just washing the dishes or something like that, yeah, you know, you, th- that's those times where you give up maybe of your own preferences to, to love and, and serve your, your wife. It means to, to give of yourself and not take for yourself. Um, so I also want to point out that I think, I think when, when Paul addresses the husband here, uh, I, I heard this from, from Ben uh, from, from the last time he taught this, but he said it's almost as if uh, husband, or Paul puts the, the hands over the ears of the husbands when he's talking to wives um, because he uses these words submit and headship with wives. But then when he turns to the husbands, he says, now you love. He doesn't say anything about submission. He doesn't say anything about headship. He says, your primary role is, is to love. So he doesn't, the, the concept, yes, they're there. Yes, men have headship. Husbands have headship. Um, wives submit. But as a male, as the husband, um, under God's authority, your primary role is to, to, to love to give of yourself, to, to serve your wife. And you do this, um, point five, for the wife's benefit. So you don't just do it um, yeah, arbitrarily. There's actually a purpose in this. Um, Christ giving himself up greatly benefited us as believers. So yeah, Christ died and, and rose so that we might have reconciliation to God. In the same way, husbands give of themselves for their wives' benefit. So verse 26 says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Psalm 128 says that when when a, a man walks in the fear of the Lord, when he follows after the Lord, his wife will be like a well-watered, fruitful vine. So I would just ask you as, as husbands to, to consider, okay, if, if, you, if your wife was asked, hey, do you, do you feel like a well-watered, fruitful vine? What, what might she say? Would, would she say, yeah, you know what? My husband's leadership actually creates opportunities for me to flourish and thrive. Or would she say, well, he actually kind of just puts me down and doesn't really affirm my gifts or, or anything. I think that's something helpful for us as husbands to think about. Does our wife flourish because of our leadership? Now, a wife's flourishing is not completely dependent on a man's leadership, but it, our leadership as husbands can certainly help 
in, in the, the watering of that vine. So we want to love and serve them because it actually benefits them. This doesn't mean just, hey, wife, I'm going to do whatever I, you want me to do to make you happy. It's actually bigger than that. It's, it's about holiness and growth in the Lord. So I would encourage men particularly to think about, okay, is, is your wife flourishing because of your leadership? And in point six, husbands are to love their wives as they love themselves. Um, would somebody go back to Genesis 2.24? So here we're going to see Paul actually makes a very deeply theological point, uh, one that goes back to the very creation of man and woman. So if somebody is, has verse, or Genesis 2.24, could you read it out loud? Hmm. Yeah, so, so they shall become one flesh. So when man and woman, husband and wife, come together, it creates a one flesh union that is very, very, very difficult to break. Um, and, and the purpose of this, Paul saying love themselves, is because now man and wife, are, or husband and wife, are, are one body. So for, for a man to love his wife as, himse- as himself, it actually does him benefit so he does, instead of taking and taking, it's essentially hurting his own self. So, yeah, Paul's going to say, I mean, yeah, when, you, when you care for your wife and work for your good, um, yeah, you, you would no more treat your wife insensitively than you would starve yourself or beat yourself. You're the same body. You're, you're one flesh. So if you love yourselves, and, I'm, and Paul's presuming that everybody loves themselves. No man ever hated his own self. Uh, then love your wife. This is how you love your wife. And point seven, uh, both husband and wife should remember that their marriage speaks to the world about Christ's relationship with, with His church. So if we look again at verses 31 and 32. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. See, God designed the institution of marriage to actually proclaim God's glory to the world. It's it's created to be a picture to the unbelieving world. It's a picture for believers of what one day the bridegroom will come and, and, uh, and, and bring us together, us as the church, his bride. It's a picture of how God loves the world. So when a husband and wife don't carry out their God given roles, as as Paul is commanding here, it actually distorts the picture that God gave marriage to be. It, it, it paints a, a bad, blurry picture um, to the world. Um, yeah, it'd be like going to, to, to see the, the Mona Lisa at the Louvre, and it's just like a bunch of splatter on, on paper. Um, we want to we present as clear a picture as we can. We're sinful, we're fallen, uh, yes, but our marriage paints a picture. So how we relate to husbands and wives um, in those marriages paints a beautiful picture uh, to the world of God's love for His church. So I'm going to pause there um, before we move on to our next passage and just ask if there are any questions, maybe over what we just talked about, or we'll get into some application later. Um, But if you guys have any questions about anything we just talked about. Nobody? All right. Then, then turn over to 1 Peter 3. So what we're, we just saw Paul talking, yeah, talking about marriage, and we're going to see very similar language from Peter here, but the context is actually going to be very, very different. Uh, this is going to be a context of, of Christians who are just suffering. Um, so, so this could be a difficult marriage uh, we're going to see that uh, maybe it's uh, dealing with an unbeliever who's a spouse, um, or, or just difficulty in marriage. And now, listen, if you're married, you completely understand that, that all marriages are difficult to a degree. But some people do experience different kinds of pain, particularly if they're married to an unbeliever. Um, and, and Peter's going to give some instruction on how they're to walk, uh, walk in, yeah, in submission and holiness even with an unbelieving spouse. So does somebody mind reading 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 for us? 
Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, so our, our first point uh, of this passage is going to be that godly submission in difficult marriages can actually win others to Christ. So, yeah, so especially in the first century Greco-Roman world, there was great opposition to, to Christianity because it just disrupted social order. Um, yeah, people bow down to Caesar, not, not Lord. Uh, so just... Yeah, the very nature of somebody coming and, and realigning to now serve the Lord as opposed to, to Caesar or any other god was very countercultural. So it could cause tension in marriage. And in the same way today, we, we see, yeah, there may be unbelievers uh, who get married and, and then, yeah, one of them comes to know the Lord. Well, then you're presented with the situation of, okay, well, how do I even, how do I relate to my husband now? Or how do I relate to my wife who's an unbeliever? Do I just run away? Do I... Um, just do whatever they ask. So Peter's going to, to get into this a little bit. And, and, and the first thing he's going to show is that um, while Paul maybe talked about marriage as painting a picture of Christ's relationship to the church, Peter's going to say, well, it's actually also an apologetic. It can be an evangelistic tool. Um, so he, he says, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So this is not a plea to go missionary dating. Um, that's not what Peter's saying here. But Peter is saying if you found yourself in a marriage that you're married to an unbeliever, your godly submission is actually going, could be a tool that God could use to bring the husband to repentance. Um, so in the same way, I mean, think, think about elders when, when Paul's talking about elders' uh, qualifications. One, one of the things that he talks about is the, the idea of yeah, you want to. You want your conduct to be. Yeah, you you want your conduct to be approved even by outsiders. In in a sense, not like you're trying to win favor uh, from outsiders, just to try to, yeah, just just to try to be like the world. But but it gives no cause for the name of Christ to be to be hurt. In the same way, godly submission in difficult marriages can, can do that. It can bring even an unbelieving spouse or any unbeliever to, to Christ. So, so what does that submission look like then in, in an unbelieving, with an unbelieving spouse? Well, I, I'll, I'll give a, a couple things. First, it doesn't mean that you agree with everything that your husband says or does. Um, yeah, clearly they, in this situation, the man and, and wife disagree on the most important question of reality of who will you serve. So it doesn't mean you just check your brain in at the door and follow your unbelieving spouse no matter, no matter what. That, that's, not what it, that's not what it means. It also doesn't mean you talk, yeah, you don't talk about Christ because it might cause tension. In fact, the whole purpose of this submission is to win him to Christ. So you still talk about Christ. You do it in love and humility. Um, you're trying to win this unbelieving spouse, um, not, not push them away. And it doesn't mean putting the husband's will before God's. Uh, just as we said earlier, your first allegiance is to Christ. So if an unbelieving husband actually seeks to keep you from glorifying God, so if he seeks to, no, you know what, we're getting rid of the Bibles, we're getting rid of your Christian literature, um, and, and you're staying home on Sundays, that's a case where, okay, then you disobey. But if he's not causing you to disobey the Lord, you, you continue to submit. Um, so, so submitting does look like that still, that yielding to the husband's leadership, recognizing that God still gave this husband to you, um, for your good. So he's still going to, yeah, if he, is, if he is leading the family well, if he's providing, if he's disciplining the children and bringing them up, um, 
yeah, in, in, in a worthy manner, you can still celebrate that. You don't have to despise your husband just because he's an unbeliever. So that, that might be what submission looks like in, in this instance. Point two, godly submission is countercultural to the world's standards of empowerment. Um, so so what, what we're going to see here is, is, is Paul's going to, I mean, Peter's going to contrast all this outward, external beauty as opposed to the inward beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So the culture, especially us today, I mean, culture defines women so much by how they look, um, by what they wear, by yeah, the brands that they wear, or the, um, yeah, the kind of makeup, how they dress themselves up. And they call it empowerment, but it's actually objectification. The, the, the beauty that God looks at is, is the, the gentle and quiet spirit, because that is the, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. That is, in God's sight, very precious. I mean, we see all over the Bible, um, David was not a man of great appearance, but the Lord looked at the heart. Jesus himself was, was not a man that anyone would look at and desire, though many of our paintings actually paint him up to have like nice, straight, long hair. He probably did not look like that. He, I mean, yeah, we're not defining beauty by, by outward appearances here. It's, it's the heart that the Lord looks at and approves of. So women don't follow the culture. Your countercultural submission is actually going to be what is precious in God's sight. It's going to be beautiful to the Lord. And then, thir- and then thirdly, godly leadership, he's going he's gonna to get to... Actually, I'm, I'm going to pause there before I get into godly leadership. A- at the end, Paul, Peter says, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So what might the women have to fear in this situation? If you, don't, if you do good and don't fear... context of, of suffering here. What might a woman have to fear with an unbelieving husband or just a difficult marriage? Hmm. I, th- I think you're right. I think there certainly could be some physical. Don't fear him physically. Um, so it, he, and yeah, I think that's some underlying but even more, just that'll lead, lead the family astray. It, and at the heart of it, it's a fear that, it, it's believing that God might not be sovereign, that he might not have providentially allowed this to happen. And, and Peter's going to say, no, don't, don't live in fear. You're called to freedom. So you can still trust that God is sovereign. You don't have to fear because the spouse is an unbeliever. You can still follow them um, and submit to them insofar as they are not causing you to disobey the Lord. So point three, godly leadership involves a husband's deliberate thoughtfulness toward and joyful honoring of his wife. So verse, verse seven, likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So what, what might it mean to live with your wife in an understanding way? Any ideas? I'm not the best at this. <laughs> um, I think it was I remember where I heard this, but it was really helpful for yeah, me thinking about how to do that. Um, if I do see uh, yeah, just there's some sin in my wife's life or she's irritable or just something that I, I don't think is, is God honoring, that's not my chance to just smash mm-hmm. down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So say you just your wife wakes up one morning and she's just feeling bad. She's doesn't feel good about herself. Um, just struggling to really, um, yeah, just struggling to think. Okay. God, I know you say I'm beautiful. I feel horrible. Um, I don't feel beautiful. That doesn't mean you just come in and say, you know that's not how you're supposed to think. Well, you know, you, you would rather say, let me come alongside you and, and help show you the truth. Um, let me pray for you. Thank you for confessing this to me um, of how you feel. It's, it's knowing your wife's 
hopes, dreams, disappointments, fears. Uh, it, it, it's just growing to, to study your wife. You want to know your wife. You don't just want to, yeah, to presume to know your wife, ask questions, um, continuously date your wife. Um, yeah, let your relationship flourish by, by learning about her, learning to understand her. Mm. So even the, the fears and the fright, you know, just not demanding that she just not be scared of things. Absolutely. She just, just not have a problem with your leadership, mm-hmm. that she get over stuff, that she not take things personally, mm-hmm. that she not be emotional, that she, you know, all those things, I think as husbands we can go, can't just be more like a guy. Absolutely. Um, and when it's like, no, that's, she's yeah. you know, been given, she's a woman, she's your wife. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I, I think that I think that's great, and that's what some people are like. Well, what does Paul? I mean, what does Peter mean when he says weaker vessel? I think, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe the culture saw her as weaker, or just weaker in relative authority, um, and just yeah, she's in a position where yeah, husbands, your wife is, is trusting you, and every day. So the way you lead it. They're just having, they're submitting to that, and and by God's grace, you're doing it well. But when you don't, there, yeah, there should certainly be cause to, okay, I'm going to bear with you. I'm going, I'm not going to say, all right, if you can't keep up, just get out of the kitchen. Um, it's gonna, I'm gonna bear with you in this. And when you do this, yes, Merck. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna. When you do this, the the Lord is pleased, and He hears your prayers. So it's opposed to. If you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, it, it's like you're, yeah, your, your prayers just, they just fall flat. They, God doesn't hear those things. That's, that's not, he, he wants your life to match um, yeah, what you say. Yes, Merck. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, so we're going to get into application right here. And there's one application question of, well, how do husbands and wives even make decisions together? Does the husband just rule with an iron fist or does he give ear to his wife? Um, so we're, we're going to talk about that in, in just a sec, which you, I think you answered it pretty well. Um, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That dishonors inner beauty, that sort of dishonors gentleness and quietness, and is that we as husbands would, would show honor mm-hmm. to our wives and honor our women and, yeah. the, and, and honor about them what God would mm-hmm. honor their character, their love for the Lord, their integrity, yeah. their uh, service, their ministry. Mm-hmm. So I think it just won't come naturally. And so the idea that we would actually exert energy thinking about how do we show honor Absolutely. to our wives in a world that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not, they're not lesser than. In Second Peter 1, Peter's going to address those who have attained, obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, a faith of equal standing, a, a, a woman has a faith of equal standing with an apostle. I mean, there's no, there's no difference there. Um, so there, there's, this is not a, a, a measure of value, but, but of role. Thanks, John. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, it's um, in relation to the first point. Godly submission in difficult marriages to win others to Christ. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who is in that situation. She's a believer. Her husband is not a believer. And um, where it says that they may be one without a word by the conduct mm-hmm. of their wives. Um, I think sometimes she struggles with her works, almost looking at it as like, I need to do these mm. things in order for my husband to be saved. Yeah. Mm. Over the over sense 
I'm somehow yeah. causing my husband not to come to the yeah. What type of advice would you give to someone in that situation? Yeah, well, well, first I would encourage her to just recognize God's sovereignty in salvation, that he, it, it's not actually... Yeah, she doesn't cause him to believe or not believe. It's actually that he's darkened his understanding, and there's a God of this world who has blinded him. And, and, and then just to, to know that, yeah, it's, yeah you don't want to hinder, but, but you're also you're just flawed, and yes, you're going to sin. I, I think, so if she does, yeah, maybe she sins against her husband. Go, go confess that to him. Um, don't just act like it didn't happen. Say, listen, I recognize that I, I may have wronged you, and, and that could cause you to think some thoughts of, of, of God that are, are actually not helpful. I want to confess that to you because that's what God has actually called me to do. And just walk in open, open confession, repentance, and yeah, just trust that it's actually the Lord who, who saves and not, not her, her own works. Um, regular, yeah, regular just confession and patience. And, and it says they may be saved. It doesn't say they will be saved. Um, so... You, you, ultimately, you, you don't know, um, but you, you don't want to add that hindrance. I would just encourage her, okay, it's not up to you. It's not completely up to you. This is up to the Lord, whether he chooses to use you or not. Um, and yet, we are just r- running out of time, and I, and I hate that, but I, it, it, if we don't have any more questions, I'd love to get into just a little bit of application before we head out. All right, if, if not, then let's go to, to letter A. Yeah, husband and wife have distinctive God-given main roles within the family. Man is provider and protector, and woman is wife and mother. Um, yeah, so, so that is really hard for, for our culture to hear. We don't want to hear that man is provider, protector, wife is mother, wife, uh, yeah, mother and wife. Um, but this actually goes back to just creation. Yeah, think about when God... Yeah, after the fruit was eaten, who does God address? Does he address the one that first took the fruit and ate it? He addresses Adam. And in addressing Adam, he's saying, it was actually your duty to protect your wife and to protect this garden. I mean, when a snake come, or serpent comes into your garden, do you pick it up and start talking to it? You, you kill it. So Adam, Adam didn't do any of that. He didn't protect the garden, and he didn't protect his wife. So the curse falls on him now that the ground is going to be hard for him to labor in. It's going to be hard for him to provide. It's recognizing that it was his job to provide. Now that's hard. And same with Eve. When she sins, uh, yeah, when they both sin, her curse is that there will be pains in childbearing because Eve is called the mother of all living. It's her, her God-given responsibility to, to mother and nurture and care for uh, creation and, and just for her, ch- her own children. And now that's going to be incredibly hard. Um, so, so these are the roles, and this is kind of a general principle still, but we have to understand these are God-given roles. These aren't culturally created roles. They're God-given. Uh, so that means the, the role of the husband as, as provider and protector and the role of woman as the primary one to care for the children in the home is, yeah, it's not culturally constructed. It's part of creation. Now, I think... Sometimes this can get into the question of, well, can the wife work outside the home? Okay, well, let's look at Titus 2, 3 through 5. And then while somebody's going there, somebody get Proverbs 31, 16 through 24. So does anybody want to grab Titus 2, 3 through 5 real quick? Thanks, Heather. So there's so Titus two five. Some people take it says working at the home, being a keeper of the home means yeah. Their wives should not ever work out outside of the home. Uh, there's certainly disagreement on, on this, but I, I I think I don't think that's what it's saying. I think yes, primary responsibility. Women should be keepers of the home, so they should certainly maintain order 
in the home, um, in submission to the husband's leadership. But if you look at Proverbs 3, I mean, Proverbs 31, 16 through 24, will somebody get that? I think that'll help us also see a, a, maybe a different view. So Proverbs 31, 16 through 24, Garrett? So this is clearly a, a hard-working woman. Uh, so the, the Scripture is not saying women should just stay at home and, and do nothing, which I don't presume that we, we, we think that. But I think that's saying you can work outside of the home if it is in the context of providing for your family and if it's for the benefit of your family. I think you start getting into... If it's just, okay, well, I'm going to set out and I'm going to make a name for myself. Um, I'm going to do what others say I can't. Um, if you're doing that at the expense of maybe children at home, I think those are, the, those are the questions you have to think through. So I would just encourage you to consider, okay, what are the wife's motivations for this? Are they selfish? Uh, do you just want more money so you can live in more comfort? Um, or are they for the good of, of the family? I'm speaking as someone who grew up with a dual income household and my wife and I current, currently work. So I want you to hear where I'm coming from. Uh, will, will this enterprise actually benefit uh, her family aiding her husband in his calling or, or will it actually uh, be harmful to the family? Will she be spending every night away from home? Will her children ever see her? Will she be able to manage the home? Those different kinds of questions I think you have to really ask, what's the heart motivation for doing this? Any questions on that but before we move on? We're not going to be able to finish all the application. I'd love to talk with you afterwards, but yes, Tim? One way I think of it, too, is, you know, back then when the scriptures were written, or even you go back 100 years ago, people didn't work outside of the home, and men didn't either. Mm. In agrarian society, like, the farm was the home, mm. and they made their living, yeah. and the husband and the wife worked and provided together. Mm -hmm. You know, it was really only in the, after the Industrial Revolution Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I think we have to keep that in mind when we think about, like, work. Yeah. Is that, um, yeah, like, working at home doesn't necessarily mean, like, the wife has to stay in the house. Mm. Just thinking in that context, too, of, like, when these, when this is written. Yeah. I, you just, it goes back to, can you work outside the home and still fulfill your God-given responsibility to be a wife and be a mother? If you can do that, I think there's certainly freedom. Um, if you can't, I think you and your husband really need to sit down and talk about, okay, how's this going to look? Uh, am I going, as the husband, going to maybe have to take on an extra job so the wife can just spend the time at home that she needs to, uh, yeah, to, to, to be with her, her children and actually be a mother? Uh, I, yeah, there's lots of gray areas. That's just where you have to talk in the context of, of community. Yeah. 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 So, so when in Genesis, uh, God calls her a helper. So I'm going to create for the man a, a helper, which is is not a, a bad term. That's actually God helped the Israelites out of Egypt. So it's not a a, a bad thing. Um, it's not a less than. So I would maybe a better word than wife is, is helper. Um, a woman as helper and mother, someone who's going to come alongside the husband. Yes, husband shows leadership, but there's plenty of responsibilities of the wife to, to discipline the, the children, to just to, to help the family in, it could be income, but it could certainly be uh, just spiritual nurturing, um, caring for children, 
Uh, I think our society certainly just neglects how important it is to raise children. And, and that's the, if that was the only duty on this page, that would be more than enough um, of, of a wife uh, to, to just nurture children and raise them up in the, the fear and the instruction of the Lord. Does that help or... Yeah. Absolutely. Well, guys, it is 1030. Uh, I wish we had more time to get through the rest. I'd be happy to just yeah, send you some notes or if you want to talk with me about further application, um, I'd be happy to. Um, yeah, as we close, uh, t- next week, this will be in the context of the local church. So we talked about the home today. Uh, next week, it'll, it'll be about how this relates in, in the context of the local church. Uh, so you guys won't want to miss that. Um, yeah, just as we close, uh, John, do you mind praying for us? Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thanks, guys.